it's more terrifying standing in front of you lot than it is in front of a bunch of strangers. <laughs> if you've got Bibles, I'd actually encourage you to have them open or on your screen at Luke chapter 4. So as Keith said, some of you might know my brother Adrian. I've lived in Oxford since the week before 9-11, but I've only been coming to OCC for about three years. And as Keith has said, I work for Tiffun, so I often have to speak and teach and preach, but I've never done so here, so be kind and gracious to me today. So I want to start by asking a question. I want to ask you, have you ever longed to meet someone famous, someone well-known, maybe a pop star, a celebrity, a footballer, a sports player, a member of the royal family, the Prime Minister, a historical figure. And how would you feel and what would you think if you finally had that meeting? Would you feel excited, nervous? Would you feel quite relieved? Be full of anticipation? Maybe wondering what they're really like? Today's talk is about a people who have been longing to meet someone for a very long time, and that wait is finally over. Today, we are bridging the gap between the Old Testament ending and the 400 years to the New Testament beginning. And it's part of this series about God's big picture. So today's talk is about the present kingdom. In the series, we're unpacking the story of the Bible through the lens of the kingdom of God. And so far, we've been in the Old Testament. So far, we have heard the story of God's good creation. We've heard the story of the fall when sin entered that good creation. We've heard the story of the promises that God gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of how God chose to bless them that they might be a blessing to many. We've heard the story of the fulfillment in part of those promises through the nation of Israel. And then last week, you heard from Steve about the story of all the Old Testament prophets. Somehow, he did a very good job of condensing all those prophets into one sermon. And now today, we're entering the New Testament. Hooray! And specifically, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are called the Four Gospels. And these are the books of the Bible where we learn about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's like Keith said earlier, Jesus has entered the picture. Jesus is the person that people have been longing to meet for centuries. And today, we're going to learn that their wait is over. That longing is over. Because the kingdom of God is present. So, to help us condense four Gospels around this theme... I've got three key points, and they all begin with the same letter. So, is it going to work? Ah, okay. First point, the present kingdom was and is a kingdom expected. So we learnt last week that the kingdom was prophesied about. So the prophets in the Old Testament had been speaking for hundreds of years that there was a king going to come and he was going to establish a kingdom. And in the Gospels, we realize the waiting is over. Jesus' first recorded words in Mark's Gospel are these. 
The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is saying God's prophetic promises about the kingdom of God are about to be fulfilled. But what sort of king and kingdom were they expecting? I would like to suggest that at the time when Jesus entered public ministry, God's people were living under Roman oppression. And they were looking for God's king to come and elevate the Jewish nation of Israel to prominence. They were expecting a king who was going to be a revolutionary, a subversive, fist held high to defeat the Roman Empire. They were expecting a king who would liberate their nation, who would overturn Rome, and who would set up an earthly kingdom. They were thinking in terms of politics and in terms of geography. They were thinking about an earthly kingdom. The problem was, that wasn't what God had planned. That way. Okay. Jesus actually defied expectations. He still fulfilled the prophecies, but he defied expectations. In the scripture, the Hebrew word Messiah, that's the Old Testament language, and the Greek word Christ, the New Testament language, both mean the anointed one. And both are used to describe Jesus. He was anointed as God's king. But he came as a suffering servant who ultimately died on a cross so that we could be reconciled to God. He was not the mighty revolutionary that they were expecting. And ahead of Jesus, John the Baptist, his cousin, has come, declaring the kingdom of heaven is coming. Are you ready? He was the the herald that the prophets Malachi and Isaiah had said would come ahead of God's king. So let's open our Bibles at Luke chapter 4. And I'm just going to read an extract from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. And this is talking about Jesus. He, Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read... The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened upon him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Luke is very clearly telling us that Jesus fulfills these prophecies of Isaiah and that this is the kind of ministry that Jesus is coming to exercise. He has come with good news, freedom, recovery, and favor for people in in distress. People who are poor, captive, blind, and oppressed. That is what the kingdom of God is going to look like. And apparently Jesus didn't select this book. He got handed it on a scroll, and he chose to read from this passage. And what he was doing with his hearers was he was reminding them of these words that would be very, very familiar with them, 
that they had heard for hundreds of years. And he's saying, for hundreds of years you have been waiting, but I am he, I am come, I fulfill those prophetic words. Those promises of Isaiah are now happening here. I am the one you've been looking for and longing for. And he's saying it's happening today. And that was really important because Jesus' contemporaries didn't have any doubt that God's kingdom would come. They just weren't expecting it at that point. But what Jesus was saying is the expected kingdom of God is present. And this is really key to his ministry. 82 times in the four Gospels, there is a reference to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's actually only Matthew who talks about the kingdom of heaven, but the word is very, very similar. (laughs) And what's happening is that the kingdom of God that's been expected is bursting into history and bringing salvation and putting an end to suffering, or so the people believed. I'll explain this in a minute. It wasn't what people were expecting. It was actually better than what people were expecting. And what was happening was it was bringing in the rule and the reign of God. Are you with me? Okay. So it wasn't just expected. It was also explained. Okay. This is the second point. The present kingdom was and is a kingdom explained. So throughout Jesus' ministry, he explained the nature of the kingdom of God using parables. A parable, it comes from the Latin word parabola, which means comparison. A parable is a word picture which uses an image or a story to give people a comparison. So Jesus takes an everyday scenario or story, something from everyday life that people can relate to, and he uses that to compare, to explain an abstract concept. So what he's saying is he's using the parables because they're short, they're memorable, everybody likes a good story, and they explain things in a way that were mysterious and hidden, and people didn't really understand. And broadly speaking, when you look in the Gospels for parables about the kingdom, there are two types. The first is a set of parables which explain that the kingdom needs to grow, And the second is the type of parables which explains the kingdom is now and not yet. So let me just explain. Okay. So the first type of parable is this, uh, Jesus explaining that the kingdom of God needs to grow. So two examples are the story of the mustard seed and the story of the yeast. If you want to look it up, it's in Matthew 13, but I'm not going to actually read it. So the story of the mustard seed, Jesus says that a man takes a mustard seed, which is absolutely tiny, and plants it, and although it's the smallest seed, it grows into a giant shrub and even becomes a tree. And then he takes the story of the yeast, and he says a woman takes a tiny bit of yeast and puts it in the flour, mixes it in, and then a large amount of flour works into the, becomes dough because of this tiny bit of yeast. And in both stories, it's not, it's not significant about the seed itself and the yeast itself. What is significant is the contrast between something that is seemingly so insignificant and tiny becoming something so, so huge. And this was really important because Jesus had announced the kingdom of God was present, but he had done so in a seemingly insignificant and very unimpressive way in the synagogue in Nazareth. And that wasn't what people were expecting. But actually, what Jesus is saying 
is the full growth of the kingdom is assured from the moment that seed is planted, from the moment that yeast goes into the dough, it will grow and it will exceed expectations. So there are other stories. Those are just two examples. The other set of parables that Jesus used to explain the kingdom were about this concept of now and not yet. So the parable of the weeds, again, these are, these are two from Matthew 13. Jesus explains that the kingdom of God is like a man planting good seed in a field. And then an enemy comes and sows bad seed in the same field. And both the wheat and the tares, which is another word for weeds, grow up together. And actually, Jesus says they're left until the time of harvest. And then the two are harvested together. The wheat is bundled and the weeds are burned. And then in the other example, the parable of the net, Jesus describes the kingdom of God being like a man who goes out and casts his fishing net over the side of the boat. And into the net come good fish and bad fish. They're taken to the land and then they're separated out. The good fish are kept the bad fish are thrown away. And in both parables, what he is saying is that the kingdom of God will draw people into its sway, both good people and bad people, the righteous and the unrighteous, and they will live side by side, but a day will come when they will be separated. There will be a judgment and they will be separated. Now, the problem is the people who were hearing these stories only had the Old Testament And by and large, in the Old Testament, there is no separation of the two comings of Christ. They're seen as one and the same great day of the Lord. So the the Jewish people assumed that Jesus' coming was going to bring in this great day of the Lord. But actually, the New Testament makes very clear that the day of the Lord will happen in two stages. The first, with Jesus, who has come as a suffering servant, who's going to die on the cross to save us from our sin. And then the second time, when he returns in great power and glory, and all sin, all evil, all sickness, all suffering will be gone forever. I'm just going to show a diagram to try and explain this. (laughs) Okay, so the Jewish people, they were living in this age, and they thought the Messiah is going to come, And then everything is going to get transformed. There's going to be no more sin, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more death, no more disease, no more hideous stuff. But actually what happened is that they were living in that age and Jesus has come. Jesus has come, but Jesus is also returning. And when Jesus returns, there will be no more sin, sickness, death and suffering. But we are living in that in-between at the moment. We are living in the now and the not yet The now is that Jesus has come. The not yet is that Jesus will return. And that is why we still see suffering today. I'm thinking about what's happened in Didcot this week with that tower crumbling and people losing their lives and many inhaling dust and getting very, very sick. That kind of suffering makes no sense. I'm thinking of the video we've just watched of what's going on in Iraq and Syria. That kind of suffering makes no sense. But God can still break in and he can still do things now because we are living in that now and not yet. But we're also assured that Jesus is definitely coming. There are over 300 references in the New Testament to the second coming of Christ. And whoever does the, not the next sermon in this series, but the one after is going to talk about that in more detail. 
So there is a present aspect to the kingdom of God, that it's something to be discovered and experienced, but there's also a not yet aspect of a time coming when there will be a new heaven and a new earth and Jesus will be there. Are you with me? So the kingdom was expected, the kingdom was explained, but also the kingdom was expressed. And the kingdom was expressed through Jesus' signs and wonders. It was demonstrated when Jesus broke into history and he took authority. He took authority over creation. He took authority over disease by healing the sick. He took authority over Satan by delivering people from demons. He took authority over death by raising people from the dead and he himself raising from the dead. Now, the Greek word for miracle is dynamis, means works of God's power, works of God's power. So a miracle is actually an extraordinary occurrence or an unusual event which enables us to see God's power at work. And they're often called signs and wonders because we are left amazed. We're kind of wondering, what on earth was that all about? And they make us marvel. They often astonish us. But miracles are signs for faith. They are not the basis of faith. They can lead us to faith, but they in themselves are not enough. Am I making sense? But Jesus' miracles in the gospel give us glimpses of what the coming kingdom of God is going to look like, the one after his second coming. And Jesus' motivation in performing the miracles was compassion and mercy. He wanted people to be free from sin and free from suffering. And those of us who want to see miracles, that needs to be our motivation too. Compassion, so that we are liberating people from sin and from suffering. So, how did Jesus express the kingdom? First of all, Jesus had power over creation, over nature. I'm going to give two examples. This picture illustrates what happened when Jesus was out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. The story's in Mark 4. And there was a storm, and Jesus rebuked the wind, and he told the waves to be still. And the storm died down, and it was completely calm. And the disciples were astonished. Another time when Jesus took power over creation was when there were 5,000 men. There may have been more. We don't know if there were women and children there as well. But we do know there was at least 5,000 men. And they got hungry. They'd been listening to Jesus for a long time. And all they had was one boy's packed lunch with five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus said, give them to me. And he blessed them and he broke them. And everyone had more than enough to eat. And there were 12 basketfuls left over. He had power over creation. And God, Jesus' power over creation is available to us here and now. And I'm going to share a story. Um, I work for Tear Fund, which is an international relief and development organization, which means I travel a lot And I can remember one particular visit to a country called Zimbabwe in southern Africa, where I met a lady called Jean who was running an orphanage. And she said to me that she didn't know day to day how they were going to feed the children in the orphanage because there was drought, there wasn't enough rain, and basically there was a food shortage. And she said every day they made meals from the little they had and they prayed over it in Jesus' name. And every day there was more than enough food for all the children and all the staff. Jesus still has power today over creation. But he didn't just express the kingdom through power over creation. He also expressed it through power over disease. Now, did you know a quarter of the Gospels is about healing? 
A quarter of the Gospels is about healing. Jesus cared about it. And although Jesus didn't heal everyone in Judea who was sick, we often read of him healing either individuals or groups of people because it was considered a normal part of the activity of the kingdom of God. So, for example, this picture from Mark 5. Mark's gospel tells us here a story of a woman who has been suffering a hemorrhage, which no doctors or treatments have been able to cure. She's been trying to get treatment for many, many years. And the woman heard of Jesus, and she acted on what she had heard by coming to him, and she touched the hem of his garment. She knew that she was instantly healed, and Jesus knew that power had gone out from him. And he commends her for her faith, and he calls her to confess the healing of what's happened, which for a woman in her state would have been incredibly embarrassing. And there is something about testimony when someone is healed of actually proclaiming, I have been healed. And that's what this woman did. And Jesus' power over disease is available to us today. I'm going to share another story. A couple of years ago, I was having dinner with some friends in Exeter, which is in Devon. And around the table was a lady who, until about three days before, had been completely blind. She had her white stick, and it was snapped in half. She put in her application to the council saying, I no longer need a guide dog. Why? because a Christian friend had prayed for her with faith that her sight would be fully restored, and it had been. Initially, she said she saw light and dark, then she saw shadows, then the shadows began to move, then they became shapes, and then they became crystal clear. And when she went to her opticians two days afterwards, the optician said, you have so much scar tissue at the back of your eyes, you should not possibly be able to see, and yet your vision is 20-20. And she said it is because... Jesus has healed me. The same power that enabled this woman to touch the hem of Jesus' garment and be healed is the same power that we can access today. So Jesus expressed the kingdom through power over creation and power over disease, but he also expressed it through power over demons. This is another story from Mark 5. In this story, we read about a man from a place called Gerizim's who was demonized. In other words, he was being tormented day and night by evil spirits. And no human method seemed to be working. Again, this is someone who has gone for treatment, and it is not working. He was loaded with chains because there was a vain kind of attempt to curb his inner turmoil by outward restraint. And he was wandering in isolation around the tombs and the hills, and he was cutting himself with stones. And when he sees Jesus at a distance, he runs and he falls at Jesus' knees. And the demons recognize Jesus at once. And with authority, Jesus commands them to leave that man. And they beg him to enter a herd of pigs. And that's what happens. And the pigs end up running down a bank and into a, down a steep slope and they drown. The man comes to his right ma- mind and the people around him are utterly amazed. This man who has been demon- demonized for years is suddenly free. And what's amazing about this story and the others in the Gospels which talk about deliverance from demons is the authority with which Jesus commanded them to leave people alone. And the way that every single time, each person is fully restored to his or herself. So again, I'm going to share a story. Last year, I was praying for a woman who was about 50 And she said to me she had really chronic earache. And I knew very little about her, but I laid my hands on her ears. 
And I just started praying in tongues. I just was using a heavenly language to say, God, please heal her. And as I prayed, I sensed this very still, small voice saying, Joe, rebuke what Satan is doing over her balance. So I obeyed. And I just said, in the name of Jesus, whatever you are trying to do, Satan, get off her, get off her balance, get off her ears now. And I bind you, I silence you, I tell you to go to the foot of the cross in the name of Jesus. And as I did that, she started shaking and she started sobbing. And I took that to be a good sign that God was doing something. And I carried on praying. And then when she came to her senses, she said to me, how did you know to pray about my balance? And I said, I just sensed God telling me to do so. And she told me that when she had been in the womb, her mother had tried to abort her. At the stage in her development when her hearing, her ears, and her balance were being formed. And her ears, her balance, and her hearing had never been right. But she knew, she knew that Jesus had just healed her. That is an example of demons being told to flee. Another example. Jesus had power over creation, over disease, over demons, but also over death. This is another story from Mark 5. This picture shows a, a girl who was the daughter, she was 12, of a man named Jairus, who was one of the synagogue rulers. And this man comes to Jesus and he falls at his feet and he says, please come and save my daughter, she's dying. And even while the crowd is pressing in around Jesus and Jairus is trying to get to him, news comes that the little girl has died. But human despair becomes God's opportunity because Jesus went to her house and he went into her room, he held her hand, he said, little girl, get up. And she stood up and Jesus said, feed her, give her something to eat. He was full of compassion, but he demonstrated that he has power over death. And that was a precursor in many ways to Jesus' own death and resurrection, which we will remember very shortly at Easter. Jesus has conquered death, and one day he, he will burst the bonds itself of death. It's the central miracle of the Bible. It's the central fact of all Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus. It's the pinnacle of what we believe. But Jesus' power over death is also available today. And I'm going to share another story. <laughs> About a decade ago, no, it's probably longer actually, one of my friends called Karen told me that she had cancer. And I, was, I just remember being completely numb with shock. And uh, when she explained that it was stomach cancer and that it the tumor had attached itself to all her vital organs and there was only a 20% likelihood she'd make it through surgery... I knew we had to pray. She said in all likelihood she was going to die in surgery. She wasn't going to make it. But she was also really adamant that the cancer was not of God. And she implored her friends and her family to pray. And as we called on the name of Jesus, God very clearly revealed what the cause of her cancer was, so we knew what we were dealing with. And her cancer-ridden stomach began to shrink before our very eyes. So by the time the surgeon's knife cut into her stomach to remove that tumour... The tumor had shriveled, it had died, and it had unattached itself from all her vital organs. Two of the medical team became Christians, as did one of her sisters. <laughs> and she calmly told them that Jesus had healed her and he was going to give her two more years of life. Now, two years on, when the cancer returned, she was ready to meet her maker. She was no longer afraid of death, and she had done everything that God had told her to do in that intervening two years. She had written an incredible program that is even now impacting thousands and thousands of children at risk. 
Jesus has power over death. And the key thing with all these miracles over creation, over disease, over demons, and over death is that they express the kingdom of God and they combine people's faith and belief with the authority that comes in Jesus' words and the power that comes in Jesus' name. And that same power is available to us because of what has happened on the cross. So in summary, what have we learned? We've learned that the present kingdom is a kingdom expected because it fulfilled the scriptural prophecies that we heard about last week. It just looked and felt different. It was better than actually what was expected. The second thing is, it was a kingdom explained through the stories, through the parables. It was explained as it needed to start from small beginnings. And it was explained that it's about now and not yet, pending Jesus' return. The third thing is that it was a kingdom expressed. And it was expressed through the miracles that Jesus performed and his power over creation, disease, demons, and death. So I want to end with this thought. This verse... In Luke, Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 21, where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is among you. In some versions, it talks about the kingdom of God is within you. And Jesus, speaking to his 12 disciples, tells them, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. That's in Matthew 10, verse 8. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. And then at the end of Mark's gospel, he tells the disciples, Go into all the world and preach this good news to all creation, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, people will drive out demons. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. And the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them. So Jesus says these signs are not just confined to history. These signs are for the here and now, and they will accompany those who believe. That is every single Christian. And it reminds me of what Caroline said, and it reminds me of what Stuart said in the prophetic words. Caroline said, take God at his word. Take off your glasses, clean them, have another look. Take God at his word. If he says he heals the sick, he raises the dead, he delivers people from demons, he will do it. And it's also what Stuart said about getting off the bank and into that river and getting deeper and deeper and deeper into that river so that you can then access leaves for healing. So my, my, my question as I hand over to Helen is, do you want to access that same power and authority that we can have because of what Jesus did on the cross? I'd encourage you to call on the name of Jesus. And I'm going to hand over to Helen. Okay, that was brilliant, wasn't it? (laughs) Don't be alarmed that you're going to have another sermon of the same length. Even though I've got two pieces of paper, it's in enormous font, so I can read it. So this part is actually going to be quite short. And then we're going to lead into some some praying for people. So Joe has just drawn a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. And the question I want to ask, is it the same picture that we have in our heads? Is it the picture that we're experiencing? Is it the picture we're believing for, we're praying for, and expecting? 
Or have we settled for something less and something safer? Have we replaced it with something else? Is there something in our thinking that needs to change? A couple of stories. Um, one day, several years ago, we went round to visit someone we know. Okay, the identity has been kind of removed slightly from this story. And I was shocked to notice that they'd taken down this photograph of their adult kids. You know, you put the photograph over the, over the fireplace. And they'd replaced it with a picture of their dogs. <laughs> and I said, why have you changed the picture? And they said, well, they've caused us so much pain, it's easier to look at the dogs. And as I was praying about this morning, this picture came into my head, and I just feel that God's got something for us in it. Have we stopped expecting to see God's kingdom because it's less painful that way? Is it just easier to look at something else and replace it with something else? And I wondered whether for some of us this morning, there actually might be some real disappointments to face. Maybe we've tried some of this stuff. Maybe we've prayed for people to be healed and they've not been healed or they've died. Have we just replaced the picture of the kingdom for something that is just easier to look at? Um, My dad was an atheist, and as I was growing up, I often remember these conversations I had with him about what's life about, what happens when you die. Um, He used to tell me very clever things, but I always felt really depressed and really frightened. And then when I was 16, I thought... I could find out for myself whether there's really a God or not. So I'll start reading and reading the Bible and praying and see what happens. Now, a few months into this venture, a friend of mine who I used to walk home from school with, who I know was noticeably different, was noticeably happy, um, offered to lend me a book. Now, normally, if someone is kind of exploring Christianity, you might hand them a book about, you know, here are some questions about who Jesus is or that type of thing, alpha-type questions. She actually, what she actually gave me was a very strange thing to do with hindsight. She gave me a book about a revival (laughs) taking place in Indonesia. And this, this book was absolutely fascinating. It was full of stories of people being healed, miracles, you know, mind-blowing things, you know, things that were happening in the Gospels. And I just automatically assumed that that was what Christianity was. And I thought, yep, I'm up for that. So very soon after that, I had this amazing experience of God at home and decided I probably needed to find a church. So I just went to the the local church, opened the door. I remember it was It wasn't during a service. Opened the door, looked in, and I thought, this isn't anything like (laughs) this picture that I've just had from this book. Um, So I walked straight out again and started to look around to see if I could find somewhere where that picture was accurately represented in what was happening in the church. And the truth is, I am still looking for that picture. I'm still looking for more of that picture And I'm still wanting it, and I'm still seeking God for it, and I'd love to see more of it. Would you? (laughs) I think there's a a couple of challenges for us this morning, which we're going to kind of lead into. 
And it's about changing the way we think, changing the way we see, and looking at why we've done that as well. Why have we, why have we changed the picture? Jesus said, the kingdom of God is among you. The reason the kingdom was among them was because the king was among them. And the reason that the kingdom is among us is because the king is among us. And actually, if you look at the Gospel of John very much, the signs that Jesus did were meant to point to Jesus. They weren't an end in themselves. They were evidence of who Jesus was. And we were, it, they were meant to direct people to a relationship with Jesus. So just to kind of wrap this up and kind of lead into the next thing. What does God want to say to us today? I actually asked him this question. I said, what do you want to say to us today? And I felt this phrase came to me. I want people to recognize, to love and experience the king who is among them. The king who is among us. And then the second thing that I asked was, what does God want to do today? What does he want to do today? And I believe that he wants to touch us. And I believe he wants to to touch us with his presence and his power. So we're going to make an opportunity for that to happen. Um, In 1 Corinthians 4.20, it says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So I'm going to stop talking. And we're going to... We're going to move into some ministry. So what I like to do, what I'm suggesting, is that we'll have Jeremy will come back and we're just going to worship God. We're just going to focus on something that speaks about, that sings about the king. And I'm going to ask if you would really like to experience God's presence, God's power, just to come forward Now, you might be thinking, do I really need to come forward? Will it make any difference? And actually, I think the answer is probably yes. (laughs) It does make a difference if you come forward. And you might also be sitting there thinking, am I allowed to come forward? I've never really done that before. I've not even been in church before. The answer is, of course, you're allowed to come forward. Please do. And the things I felt that God specifically was looking at were this kind of thing about repentance and changing our mind so that we are actually praying for and expecting and wanting to experience this type of thing that Joe's been talking about. People who might have to face disappointment, even anger with God about um, things that they've not seen happening and have changed the picture to look to be looking at something safer. Um, I feel there's people here who who are going to experience God's presence for the first time. Uh, This might be a a beginning of the road for you in your relationship with God. Um, If you feel like there is any of those things, you know, (laughs) freedom from sickness, freedom from oppression, or, you know, something dark around you, you want something to break, something to go, please just come forward for healing. Um, what I wanted to do is if, if, if people do want to just come forward and just to, to start off with just to kind of express what you've got in your heart to God. We will come and pray with people, of course, but just to give a little bit of space first for people to engage themselves with God.
Okay. And when people have come forward, as, as we're singing, I'm going to just then ask Graham just to pray a kind of general prayer over everybody before we pray individually.